What's up, fam? I'm so pumped for another episode of Whoa, That's Good. And this one's going to be really good. I always, before I have a guest come on, I read their book, I study, I listen to their sermons. This one was amazing because I got on a rabbit trail of Levi Lusco sermons before I did this podcast. And I got to tell you, I am so pumped because he has so much good advice, so many good things to say to this generation and really every age living right now. And so welcome to the podcast, Levi Lusco. What's up? Thank you so much, Sadie. It's a joy to be on. It's always such a pleasure to hear your voice. And I feel like we've gotten so spoiled lately. The wedding and then Passion 2020. We've been together quite a bit lately. It's awesome. It's kind of fun whenever you live far away from somebody because the moments that you meet up are always awesome. Like whenever we were in Montana, I got to go fly fishing. That was so fun. You went fly fishing, caught a fish immediately. Yeah, immediately. That's a stretch. Last five seconds of my journey. <laughs> it was awesome. And then the wedding, passion, all kinds of good stuff. So fun. Your family is just the best. And for real, I'm not kidding. Everybody, before they come on the podcast, I always love to read their book or something. But for you, like Christian and I have literally listened to like every sermon you put out because oh, not awesome. everyone, that would be a stretch, but just so many good things. And so I'm excited to just get to pick your brain for a little while. But before we go into that, I have to ask the question that we ask everybody that started this podcast. And I know it's a loaded question, but what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? When you said it, the first thing that came to my mind was Dave Ramsey. When Jenny and I got married, we went through Financial Peace University not too long afterwards, and it changed our marriage. You know, finances are such a factor in so many divorces, and we just really wanted to get that stuff right. And I had brought some debt into our marriage. And so just learning how to, you know, back then it was like, I'm not sure if it's exactly the same way, but when you go through his class, it's like save a thousand dollar emergency fund, then attack your credit card. Then, you know, budget. And then after that, two to three months expenses, a bigger emergency fund. And then from there, you start working at paying off your house. And so I think one of the great blessings has been getting our finances in order and then being positioned to be generous, you know, because when you're tied up in debt, it's impossible to do the things God's called you to do. So that's probably some of the best advice that I would say on a slightly different gear, it would probably be wearing a daily SPF sunscreen (laughs) with a moisturizer because you only get one set of skin. You know, you got to take care of it. Also really good advice. I love whenever I ask this question because it ranges from like the most deep spiritual thing to like the most practical advice to like, I mean, it's all across the board, but it's so good. And truly like, those moments in your life that you get that advice seem to have this impact. And so that's cool to hear that you and Jenny in your early years of marriage. Now I feel like I have to give something spiritual too. I feel like gosh, I'm just like talking about sunscreen and, and, you know, credit cards on a spiritual note, I would say probably like meeting with Jesus every day. Yeah. Just sometime in the day, having a little bit of time with Jesus. So there we go. I've, I've punched the card on both sides now. You just did all of the above. You did finances. You did a little bit of marriage. You did sunscreen. You did God. That that was like the best. There you that go. was a loaded answer too. 
I love it. Well, I'm, I'm so excited uh, to jump into this. This is going to be kind of different than I do with most people because, like I said, I did get to watch several of your sermons before this and specifically watch three of the sermons that were about the three different books that you put out. And so what I did was I kind of just took some of the advice that I wrote in my notes as I took sermon notes, and I would love to just kind of softball those to you and hear your thoughts or hear you expand on some of those things that, that you wrote in these amazing books. I know you have I Declare War through the eyes of the lion and swipe right and just everybody listening if you haven't read these books incredible so just shout out to all of your books are you good with that if we just kind of go through a couple of the books okay so since we already talked about your marriage a little bit we'll go into the relationship the swipe right because you had this quote in your sermon and you said i can do what i want and have what God wants. And I feel like I see that so much, especially with people my age, where they they really crave what God wants, but they continue to do everything that they want. And so I just kind of wanted to ask where that kind of came from, what you kind of thought about that, and what you've maybe seen in your own life. Like, okay, there are times where I want to do what I want, but I know if I do that, that's not what God wants, and how those two things come together. Totally. That was one of the three lies in that message. I was trying to expose lies because I think one of the big things we have to do to walk in God's truth is learn how to expose the enemy's lies. Mm -hmm. And I'm convinced that one of the big lies that the devil wants us to believe is, hey, look, because there's grace, because there's forgiveness, I can do whatever I want now, but then down the road, say, I'm sorry and still get what God wants for me, you know? And that's kind of that, that statement. And we would never maybe say it like that, but deep down we sort of believe like, it, we would put it this way, like, well, down the road, I want to serve God and I want you know, to have a good family and I'll even give money to the poor, blah, blah, blah. But right now I'm in college or I'm you know, in my 20s and I just want to kind of, what do we say? Sow my wild oats or I want to just sort of get it all out of my system. And we forget that you don't get things out of your system by doing them. You actually yeah. put them into your system. Galatians says, what a man sows, the same he will reap. Mm. So to spend like your teenage years, you know, hooking up and, you know, pornography and just kind of this, that, and the other, but then you hit 28, you go, okay, now I want to get married. I'm going right. to find that girl, find that guy and just like throw that ring on my finger, have a bachelor party or a bachelorette party. And now it's kind of say goodbye to the wild years and think that those things aren't going to still be there with you. Yeah. And so I'm just trying to say like, look, of course there's forgiveness. And of course God will forgive you. Like if I committed a murder, God will forgive me, mm. but that doesn't mean I'm not going to prison. That's right. And there's a difference between consequences and God's forgiveness. So I'm just trying to say like, when it comes to sex and all these things, be eyes wide open that what you do now is going to affect you down the road for good or for evil. And so make wise decisions that your future self will thank you for. Yeah, that's so good. Okay. I love it. I'm already so stoked because honestly, it's like whenever I was listening to that, I was excited to ask you these questions because these are a lot of questions I get that I don't know necessarily how to answer sometimes. Like there are these big questions that sometimes I feel like I'm actually don't know that. I need to ask somebody that. And so I'm kind of using you this moment to answer some of those really hard questions that I don't know how to answer for some people. But there's another question that kind of is same talk, same message. I really want to ask this because I do feel like it's super important because actually I'm doing this YouTube series right now. And so many people were wanting me to talk about just the whole idea of like, what does it look like in a relationship whenever you're dating? What's the edge? And we kind of talked about that. And then what is marriage and the sex and all that? And I wanted to ask you because you talked about in one of the messages, you said like, 
kind of what the world's view of sex is and what it's become. And then you just nailed the idea of what God's idea for sex is in marriage. But you nailed it in this video. So if you want to talk about that, do you mind? Sure. In the book Swipe Right, I compare what's happening with sex today in our culture with Tinder and porn because it's gotten crazy. You know, I mean, there's just a billion swipes a day or something like that on Tinder and there's more porn traffic online than Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter put together mm. on any given occasion. It's crazy. So it's crazy, raw, powerful sexuality. And it used to be, you know, to have sex with someone, you had to meet them, which meant going to a bar, going to a club, being introduced to somebody, having to actually meet them. Now it's all in the palm of our hand. You know, in my lifetime, the internet was invented, became widely available, and then became portable, and now is everywhere. Spring is a great time to start something new, right? So whether it's cleaning or a new hobby or a new audiobook, a good story is always a great way to start a new journey and Audible has all that you need. I come from a family of great storytellers, so I know Audible is the home of storytelling, which is where I want to be. Audible lets you enjoy all your favorite audio entertainment together in one app. There's always something new to discover or you can rediscover some of your old favorites. Audible has an incredible selection of audiobooks from every genre like bestseller, new releases, memoirs, mysteries, and thrillers, business, and more. It is the destination for mind-blowing entertainment with selections of mystery and thrillers that will keep your heart racing. And with next listen recommendations, there's always something irresistible at your fingertips. Plus, members get full access to a huge and growing selection of included audiobooks and audible originals and even podcasts like, well, that's good. So you can download them or stream them anytime, anywhere. Audible members can also pick one title each month to keep from the entire catalog, which is some serious benefits, y'all. The newly included selection of titles makes your Audible membership even more valuable and gives you the chance to discover your next favorite thing. With thousands of titles available, you're definitely going to find something that you love all in one convenient app. So I know some of you are into, you know, thrillers, crime, mystery. And I got to be honest, that's not really been my thing. So I told Bella, okay, Bella, tell me what I could like listen to that wouldn't scare me, but I would like be into it. And she told me about this title called The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. And so I started it and John Luke loved it too. And so I'm just now on the cusp of it. And y'all, let me tell you, it is very entertaining. You do want to listen to see what happened next. So if y'all are into that, Audible is a great place to find those too. New members can try Audible now for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash Woe or just text Woe to 500 500. That's audible, A U D I B L E dot com slash Woe or text Woe to 500 500 to try Audible for free for 30 days. And that for the all of human history wasn't the way it ever was. So it's a very, very different world we're living in where, you know, when I was in middle school to get pornography, someone had to actually physically get their hands on it. Now it's on every iPod touch. It's on every iPhone and even Nintendo DSs can access it, right? So it's crazy the world we're living in. And with Tinder, you can swipe an app and meet a stranger in a city and be in bed before even it's over. And like it never happened. Mm. I was listening to an interview yesterday. They were talking about how a girl in New York got on Tinder, found some guy. They ended up meeting that day, had sex at a hotel. And she says while she was getting dressed, she heard a noise behind her, turned around, and the guy was on the edge of the bed on Tinder looking for the next one. No way. Oh my Literally. Gosh. Wow. Moments after 
desire wasn't fulfilled, looking for more. Right. That's the craziness of the world. Now, of course, not everybody uses it that way. And I'm not demonizing online dating or saying God can't use that. But what I am saying is we're living in a very different time. And this is the world we're growing up in where sexuality is becoming raw and powerful and everywhere and temporary. Yeah. So I compare that to pineapples in the book and how when pineapples were first discovered in the New World by Columbus, they were brought back to Europe and people were obsessed with them. It used to be, you know, what the heck, a pineapple? Oh my gosh, a pineapple. <laughs> and they became so hot, a hot commodity that in upwards of $8,000 in our currency today is how much they would cost to get one pineapple, eight grand on a pineapple. It's crazy. There was companies that would rent them. You could rent them for the night well, so that at your party, there was a pineapple sitting there. It was like the big status symbol, like a Tesla in the driveway, I guess. <laughs> and so it continued like this until pineapple plantations popped up in Hawaii and everywhere else. And they made steamships available that could bring them to Europe in mass quantities. And so now you have millions and millions of pineapples headed to Europe. Well, the funniest thing happened when all these pineapples eventually showed up several hundred years after the pineapple craze began, no one wanted them anymore mm. because everybody could have one. Wow. Turns out that it was novel and powerful and it was art because it was so rare and beautiful. And once everybody could have a pineapple, no one wanted a pineapple. And now what do they cost? $1.99 for a can of pineapple chunks at the grocery store. Okay. So in sex, what God intended was Genesis, one man, one woman, naked together, unashamed, one lifetime. That's rare, special, beautiful. That's $8,000. That's a piece of art. That's a yeah. masterpiece. That's I've never seen one before. Okay. That's how sex should be. But now with Tinder and swipe left, and I've seen a million naked guys or girls, I could have sex with anybody or nobody. It's like pineapple chunks in the can. Yeah. And there's almost like a fatigue and a despair and an anxiety that comes from turning away from God's masterpiece plan in favor of something that's so disposable and temporary. Wow. Dang. So good. So good. I think we all need to hear that. And especially just being married now and just seeing how beautiful God designed it. It is hard to know how to even express to somebody like, wait, wait, like wait for what God has whenever they are like saturated and consumed in a world that just shows it as if it's pineapple chunks. That's it. And so thank you for just painting that picture. Of course. Anytime I tell that story or talk about any of this stuff, I always want to at least throw out there that, you know, maybe you're hearing this and you're like, gosh, I wish I could be someone's one and only pineapple, but you know, I've made some mistakes. I've done this, I've done that. And I just would say that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you're not damaged goods. So good. God doesn't see a scarlet A on your chest. He shed the blood of Jesus to forgive you. So good. So you could start a new beginning right now and God could create something brand new in your story. Preach. Amen. Honestly, Christian and I, we can say on one hand, like, look at how beautiful it is God's design. And on another hand with our past, we can say, look at the grace of God and how he's redeemed things. And so can't affirm that anymore, that you're not damaged goods. Me and Christian can both attest to that, that God has more for you if you can just actually walk out his way and choose his way over the world. Well, and honestly, Sadie, a lot of that was born out of my own life the hard way. Wow. Mistakes I've made, like, and realizing, oh, like, just to be completely candid, when I was in, you know, high school, I was first exposed to pornography and some of these things that got in my system. And I'm a Christian now. And by God's grace, I've put the right kind of framework of accountability and friendship and, you know, safeguards. So that's not a part of my story. Yeah. By God's grace. But 
I know that if I let my mind wander, those things are there for the enemy to bring back. Yeah. And he loves to bring sin back to our mind that God's forgiven us for. The Bible calls that a stronghold, yeah. that it's easy in a low moment for that stuff to come back to your mind. So I just think how much better would it have been to never have to walk down that road in the first place? Yeah. I didn't write that message out of victory. I wrote it out of failure, but wow. I think some of the best lessons we learn come from hindsight that we can then apply to, to people and say, hey, look, you don't have to go that way. You can live differently. So true. It's so good. I, I feel the same way. I feel like most everything I talk about is the thing I'm struggling with or the thing that I just recently came out of. And so even like live fearless, it's like the only reason I can write that book is because of like years of anxiety. And so I relate so much to to what you just said. And I I love what you said. You're like, that came out of a time that like, there was, there was a before, there was a before Christ and kind of going off the subject of your book, people know you as Levi Lesko. They know you for the church, Fresh Life. They know you for the books. They know you for all these different things, but how did it all start? Like I've heard you mention before, like how the church started, but like, what was that call? You're like, all right, shift gears. Like I'm starting a church in Montana. Well, I gave my life to Jesus as a freshman in high school. And then there came the up and down, you know, years of peer pressure and friendships and the right people, the wrong people, the right choices, the wrong choices. But all throughout that, I felt deep down a call to ministry. I started after Bible college as a, as a volunteer intern, you know, sweeping the floors, doing whatever I could do. You know, then eventually I became an assistant youth pastor and I kind of went through the ranks at a church and, and then eventually my wife and I were in a position where I was the interim teaching pastor at a, a large church in California, and it was kind of perfect on paper. Like we had season passes to Disneyland. We're eating in and out every week. We had a condo with a view of the ocean. We were like, this is our dream. You know what I mean? Where you're like, everything we could have said life would look like, this is it. But we felt a restlessness on the inside. Mm. And we felt like maybe that restlessness over time as we sought wise counsel and kept praying about it. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit saying, like he said in the book of Acts, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for this mission trip. We felt like maybe it was God's voice. And we weren't rash about it. We weren't quick. But eventually we began to really feel like God wanted us to step out into the wild, into the unknown, to do something that didn't make sense necessarily to anybody looking at it going, like one person said, hey, this is not God's will for your life. Mm. You guys are doing so great in California. There's millions of people. It makes sense. And you don't even make sense in Montana. As we began to think about maybe Montana's the place, God put that on our radar. But we just felt like, look, it doesn't have to make sense to people. It just has to make sense to God. It's so good. And so we, 13 years ago, moved here. We had enough savings to live for a year. And we just started telling people about Jesus. We started Mm -hmm. the church the Sunday after we arrived in an empty room above a bar. And 14 people came to the first gathering. And now flash forward 13 years, we've seen God use it in great ways. But it started with that small seed. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Everything you say is like literally preaching to me because I feel like, you know, in some ways things have taken off and obviously God has done a lot in my life that's blown me away, but there are still like other things that I'm believing for that I feel like I'm just sowing seeds right now, right? And starting small, like even though on one hand, we're able to speak at Passion. Me and my team are still going to college campuses, meeting with like 10 people, trying to like start Bible studies, you know? And so just continuing to sow those seeds and just believing that God's going to do something with them. And that's the stuff that like doesn't make sense to people. And sometimes it doesn't even make sense to me, but it's the things that like I'm hearing God say. And so that's just so encouraging, especially seeing where you and Jenny are now. Well, does it make sense to bring five loaves and two fishes to 5,000 people or fight a giant with five rocks? I mean, it just doesn't. 
But you know, the thing is, is that God's methods seldom make sense. Yeah. But his purposes can never be stopped. So good. And that's what you have to remember. Come on. That is awesome. See, this is why the podcast is called Whoa, That's Good. Because everything you say, I'm like, Whoa, that is so good. That's seriously so good. Okay, you say something in I Declare War that was super powerful to me. And I think it kind of goes along with everything that you're saying with you and Jenny, just feeling this heart tug towards Montana kind of seemed crazy. And you said you can't reach a world that you've abandoned. And what I see you and Jenny do really well is you love the church, but you also love people in the world so much. And I think some people think if they choose church, then it's like almost like an against the world type thing, which is clearly not what Jesus says when God so loved the world, he gave his son. But I think sometimes as Christians, like we can have that mindset that like, oh, we can't, you know, go to Hollywood or you can't go to this. And I experienced that some of my life. It's like the things that I might do that might seem like a worldly TV show, for instance, for Dancing with the Stars. There were people in the church that were like, oh, you can't do that because you're in the church. Right. What are kind of your thoughts behind that? How do you love the church, be in the church and also extend love to the world? Yeah, that's such the question, Sadie. You know, I think the template is given for us very clearly in the life of Jesus of course, he would go to synagogue on Saturday, which was the Sabbath back then. And he sets that example as from a young age. The Bible says he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom since he was a young boy. So even when he got lost, the one time he got lost, where did he go? Church. Yeah. So Jesus loved church. He was always there. He did a lot of miracles in synagogues and preached there and gave messages there. But that at the same time, He's at Zacchaeus' house. His feet are getting washed by a prostitute. He would be at birthday parties and events and things. So often he got called a drunkard and a wine mm. baber. Of course, he wasn't getting drunk, but he was there. His fierce miracle was at a wedding. Yeah. So Jesus was a good time. <laughs> kids loved him. You know right then that he was a fun guy because kids don't run up to the weirdo. That's they run so up to the true. guy who's super cool and fun and you know all that. So Jesus was a joy to be around. That's awesome. And that's why he got invited everywhere. And so I think it's not abandoning church for sake of cool. We're not looking for clout. We're not looking for status or followers, but we're trying to love people. And if all we ever do is love people who are already Jesus followers, we're not doing anything to build heaven. So So it's like, we want to have friends who don't know Christ. If there's not people in your life who don't know, not like I'll have friends who are like dropping the F bomb. They're like, oh, sorry, I shouldn't. You're a pastor. It's like, cause they don't know Jesus. Like (laughs) I don't expect you to live a clean life if you don't know Christ, because Jesus always cleans his fish after he catches them, you know? Yeah. So when people come to know him, then they can begin to learn how to follow him. But sometimes we expect the world to act like the church. And here's the irony. Half the times the church doesn't even act like the church. So, you know, I think we have to be in the world without being of the world. And that means we're being in people's lives on the journey, watching them be changed by God's grace. That's so good. So much freedom in that too. And confidence in like what we know we have in Christ. I love it. So good. On a smaller scale, but not even really a small scale. And I declare war. I love that you talk about bad moods. That's just like a topic that I feel like not many people talk about just like having a bad mood and like just the effects it has on you and the people around you. And you talk about it in such a profound way and even share some of your own stories on having a bad mood. And especially in a culture where like mood is a very popular term like we're just kind of moody right and like everybody has their own mood and is very entitled to whatever mood they're feeling and so I kind of want you to address some of that because I think so many people listening hit them with the bad mood advice and that's going to touch somebody (laughs) well gosh you're talking I felt the creeping on of a bad mood today I I was on (laughs) a phone call and it was just like frustrating but here's the thing 
our culture, we place this huge emphasis on like my truth, my feeling. I have to be authentic. Yeah. And in one hand, that's good. We don't want fake. We don't want phony. We don't want to pretend we're doing good when we're hurting. But on the other hand, we've also been given God's spirit. We've been given, you know, these tools to think right and to live right and to be obedient. And I think sometimes there's a tension between, well, I just want to be authentic, but we're also called to be obedient. Yeah. One of the most important things is to be obedient. And if we're going to be obedient to scripture, we have to set our mind on things above. Mm -hmm. We have to choose to let our words be profitable. We have to take control of our spirit. You know, all of these things are in the Bible too. So for example, I think one of the most important things you can learn about worship is worship is not a feeling expressed through actions. It's an act of obedience that sometimes develops the right feelings. Mm, that's so, so that good. is to say, when I go to church, I don't lift my hands and praise God only when I feel like it, because then it's not a sacrifice of praise. Yeah. I worship him because he's worthy, and then the feelings oftentimes follow. Yeah. So you could go, well, it's not authentic if it doesn't come from my heart. It has to come from the right place. Well, what if your heart's wrong? Mm. What if your heart's sinful? What if in the moment your heart is just funky and being stinky and you're being attitude-y? What if you just need to nail that stuff down and crucify your flesh and follow Jesus and do the hard stuff? If Jenny only loved me when I was lovable, we wouldn't have a good marriage. She loves me because she made a covenant. And oftentimes the way that she and I get what we want to feel is by doing what we are supposed to do. Yeah. So when it comes to moodiness, okay, so I'm starting to, you know, feel like I'm having a pity party or I'm, things aren't going my way or someone was, you know, whatever, rude to me. And I start to feel those storm clouds roll in. That's when it's critical and crucial that we take drastic action. If you're in a plane and it starts to get turbulent, what does the pilot do? He gets altitude. He goes above the storm. He says, hey, ladies and gentlemen, stay mm -hmm. buckled up for mm -hmm. a second. We're going to go around the storm. Well, when you see clouds coming in your life emotionally, you don't just keep plowing on and then go get Ben and Jerry's and put some sweats on and sulk <laughs> on the couch watching reruns of Friends on Netflix. You have to choose to, to read a scripture, and yeah. put a praise song on and choose to go do something nice for somebody and do something you don't want to do. And you'll feel better when you get your eyes off yourself. That's so good. I love how you just said, what if your heart's wrong? Like, I feel like a lot of times we don't even consider ourselves being the problem. But that's so good. I feel it even the Ben and Jerry's and the friends saying, dang, so relatable, so real and super helpful. Thanks for sharing that. One of the things that you said and through the eyes of the lion, it's one of like the most profound things actually to this day. So my mom, I know, you know, my mom, she's legendary, but she Your mom <laughs> is like mom goals. 10,000, by the way, she's mom goals. 10,000. I know like, and your dad too. I love your family so much. I really do. They're the best, the best people. And your bro. Love your my bro. bro. Shout out to John yeah. Luke. I mean, just the whole fam. They're great. My best friends for real. But my mom, like she reads all the time. Like I've never seen anybody read more books than her. We joke that like her nightstand by her bed, it's not just a nightstand. It's a whole entire long stretched table because there's so many books on it. You need to get her a Kindle. No, she has a Kindle. She just has so many books. Gotcha. But to this day, she says that Through the Eyes of the Lion is one of her favorite books. Like I asked her the other day what her favorite book was. I was like, I need to read something. And she's like, uh, honestly, Through the Eyes of the Lion, leave out, let's go. And so that book, I mean, it touches so many people. But something you said, I think it's just so profound because it's not what people think about. And I think maybe it's because the perspective that they have of God or maybe what they've learned or maybe just their own shame. I don't really know what it is. But you said you're going to lean 
into God's anger instead of leaning away from God's anger. And you talk about what that looks like for you to lean into that. And I honestly just never heard that before. And I would love for you to share with people because I just feel like that to me was so awakening. Oh my gosh, Sadie, what's so kind and kind of your mother as well. That book means so much to us because of course it was written out of our daughter going to heaven in our arms five days before Christmas. And all the things God taught me in the coming days were put into that book. And when you said that God's anger, leaning into it, I pictured myself in my car, snowy day, driving, very, very, very sad. Linia, my five-year-old, you know, just thinking of her, wanted to hold her, wanted to snuggle her. I had come across her bicycle in the garage with her, you know, helmet hanging from the, the handlebars where she had last hung it up. And it just broke my heart. And I just remember one of the common things in the days after she went to heaven was, I would be driving and those were some of the most hard times because I would just feel so mad. And I would, I remember screaming out, no, just no, just feeling helpless. And my reaction was to yell no. And it was the funniest thing. I felt like I could almost picture God yelling it too. Wow. Like him angry. And someone, you know, later on said, how are you not mad at God? You're a pastor trying to serve him. And you, you know, here's how God treats you. You should get a pass for being a pastor. And I went, how could I be mad at God when God's mad too? He's angry about death. He's angry about sin. He never wanted us to deal with it. And that's why he said, don't eat from the forbidden fruit in the garden because otherwise death's coming. And then Jesus showed us this perfectly at the story of Lazarus dying when he showed up at the grave. And what did he do? He wept. Yes. He's got emotions like we do, but then he groaned in his spirit. And the the Greek word for groaned is actually the bellowing and raging of an angry horse. Wow! I don't know if you've been around a mad horse, (laughs) but man, you keep a wide berth when you see a mad horse. You don't want to get kicked in the face. And so here's Jesus angry at death, but not just angry. He was angry enough to do something about it. Wow! So the times that I'm tempted to be mad at God, I just remember it's his anger inside me. And then I I trust that he's going to work it out. Wow. Okay. That is going to bring healing to so many people, as I know it already has. And just thank you and Jenny for just being so willing to share your story, share your heart, share your marriage, your life. It's so inspiring, like on so many levels from your books to your church to even just your life as a friend. You guys are the best. Every time I see y'all, I saw Jenny at Passion and just like the way her face lights up to greet a friend. It's just awesome. Oh, thanks. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but Jenny, she spent the last 13 months working on a book of her own, kind of a mom's heart perspective on grief, loss, pain, hope, and finding joy in little things. And yes, it's coming out next year. She let me read a little bit of it. And I, man, it is unbelievable. Oh my gosh. Called the, the Fight to Flourish. The Fight to Flourish. That's such a Jenny title. Right. She's so beautiful, but she's so like, she would get you. Like she is awesome. She's a warrior. Right. I cannot yeah, wait to amazing. read that. She actually just texted me about that. And I was so stoked because I love her. Everything she she says, I'm like all ears. And so I can't wait to read her book. And she also is the one that got me to actually go to a workout class and conquer that fear in which started my working out phase. So I just got to give a shout out to Jenny for many reasons. Well, you'll love it because the crew came out to film the curriculum videos for small groups and stuff. And they were like, we want to film you against like a wall with flowers. And she's like, hey, why don't you come to my spin class? Uh, <laughs> so literally they brought the camera crew in and filmed her on the bike doing that because yes. she was talking about how that helps her soul to do workouts. And wow. part of it, boxing on a boxing bag. 
It's very classic Jenny. She is awesome. I know. She always sends like a flower emoji, but I'm like, but I really see you on a punching bag. Like she's so cool. <laughs> so she's good. She's awesome. Levi, thank you. You crushed it. This is just so helpful. I'm so excited for people to hear this. I was like so blessed to get to hear this myself. And so thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me, Sadie. We love you and Christian so much. Yes, we love y'all too. Tell your wife I said hey and the girls and I can't wait for her book. So we also What, what, what's up, fam? How good was that podcast? Levi, let's go. Yo. Yo, Levi, yo. <laughs> Levi's awesome. I love when you get up to the mic. Just whatever comes out is gold. Something always comes out. Me and my hubby are in the house, and we also have our dog in the house. So if y'all hear a little barking, say, hey, Cabo. And I thought like we just need to touch back on this because it was in a Will That's Go, Will That's Bad segment that kind of made us decide to get a dog. That's so true. Somebody said, good or bad advice. They said, get a dog. And Christian said, great advice. And I said, bad advice. And I jokingly said, if we have a dog in two weeks, y'all will know that you did this to us. Well, we got a dog literally two weeks later, did we not? Yeah, we did. Yeah. And... I think we're in, on the neutral zone. I don't know if it was good advice or bad <laughs> advice. No, we love her. Just she's, kidding. We love her. She's, she's awesome, awesome. But she did just have an accident right before we started. And Christian had to clean it up. So there's that. <laughs> Sorry, babe. Hey, you're the one that said it was great advice. That's so true. All right, let's get started. As always, the good advice and bad advice is brought to you by the Well That's Good podcast Instagram account. So thanks for sending in some advice. All right, babe. What do you think about the classic fake it till you make it? I would say that's bad advice. I feel like growing up, a lot of parents like to tell their children that. And I think that just really creates in kids at a young age, this you know mentality that you have to be super tough and that you have to really just not care about your feelings. And I think that that line creates so many thoughts in people that if you have any emotions, that's a bad thing. So fake it till you make it and don't let anybody know that you're maybe going through something or not being real with yourself. And I think that that can really distort people's view on just being real with their feelings and what they're thinking. Dang, babe, that was really good. That was great advice. I love that. Shoot, come on. Well, it's true. I'm I mean, shook. You hear like kids when they're young, and I feel like a lot of parents tell their kids, whether it's playing peewee football, for example, and it's like, you know, fake yeah. it till you make it. People grow with that mentality. Yeah. And it's like, you can't be real. And if you're real, then that makes you less of a man when it's yeah. like David went before the Lord and played the harp, so... I love that. Aw, I love that, babe. That's so good. That's great advice. All right, next one. Now, this is really cool because I think that this has really played into our marriage already just over two months in, but um, it says, don't go to bed angry. Such good advice. That's such good advice. I know even sometimes with us being, you know, two centers, I feel like oftentimes like we're about to go to sleep and it's like we know deep down that we need to talk about this if we're in an <laughs> argument, but it's like, oh, we really just would rather go to sleep and wake up in the morning and hope everything's fine. But, you know, that's just never the case. If you wake up in the morning, then you didn't resolve that. I think that's even like time doesn't heal wounds, you know? Yeah. A good night's sleep is not going to take your mind off what you were talking about the night before. So yeah, I love going to sleep with us being on the same page and not yeah. being in an argument. And I think that goes for people, I mean, I know that goes for people single too. 
The Bible talks about in Ephesians, don't go to bed angry at another believer. And it says it's okay to be angry at the injustice. It's okay to be angry at the things that are sinful that aren't of God, but don't be angry at another believer and being angry at the sin that another believer is going through. And I just have always loved that from Ephesians. And so even when you're single, you know, it's a temptation to go to bed angry at somebody who did you wrong that day, angry at somebody in your own house, angry at your family member. And there are reasons why you should be angry. But I just encourage you, like, don't go to bed angry at that person. You can be angry at the sin, pray for the sin, hope that that sin goes away, talk to them about that. But don't be angry at that person because life's short. We'll have time to be angry at each other. That's good. All right, babe. Last one. Listen well to others who think different than you. That is great advice. Because honestly, if you want to neglect that before you get married, you're just setting yourself up for failure. Yep. You know, we've had so many conversations where maybe one of us is thinking something different and the conflict just arises when one of us fails to listen to the other. And I think that when you listen and you're able to receive understanding and able to provide understanding that it really levels things out and it really takes you out of a defensive mode. So true. And there's so many things in life that aren't like right or wrong. It's just like different opinions and perspectives. Yeah. And my mom always says like, listen, because you might be wrong. She's like, we always like to think that we're right about everything, but we're just not. Like some people actually have it figured out a little bit better than we do in a certain area of life. And so you don't want to miss out on like an amazing perspective of life just because you think you're so right or your opinion is the right opinion as I quote often, ever since Elizabeth Hasselbeck's podcast, we don't want to be so right that we're wrong with people. And I think that kind of sums up this whole little last segment of advice. But y'all, this podcast had so many truth bombs. You might want to listen to this one again. I know I will. I hope you're encouraged today and hope you have a great rest of your week. You're halfway there. Hey, Thank you so much for listening to the Whoa That's Good podcast. I have so much fun doing this. I hope y'all have fun listening. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at LegitCityRob and follow the podcast at Whoa That's Good podcast. Head on over to LiveOriginal.com to see when I'm in a city near you or visit Live Original blog on our online store, which carries my exclusive Words by City Rob line. Also, be sure to subscribe to my podcast and leave comments so we can hear what you're loving. I want to give a special shout out to my audio engineer, Marcus DePaula, the whole team at United Talent Agency, and my Live Original team. You guys are awesome, and hey, so are all of you too. Thanks so much for listening.